Good morning, everyone. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor of the river, and I want to say, uh, along with Angela, how glad I am that you're with us today. It's my privilege to introduce our speaker for the morning. Her name is Oshita Moore. She comes to us all the way from the Land of Lakes, uh, the St. Paul area, the St. Paul area of Minnesota. Uh, Oshita uh, has a vocation with many different talents expressed. She is a pastor, along with her husband, of a church called Roots. Uh, she is an activist, which means that she and her husband are um, commissioned in the work of mobilizing people and the work of shalom, doing good in uh, the world, righting injustices. She's an author and a speaker, uh, and she is a trained spiritual director, which means that uh, she's certified in the art of helping us all uh, tune into the divine voice for each and every one of us so that we're not just heads on a stick, you know, people thinking about the love of God. Uh, Oshita is skilled in helping us actually experience the love of God. What is God's word for me today? Uh, I'm super excited that Oshita is here to speak to us all the way from Minnesota. You know, one of the uh, values that we are devoted to at the river is holistic mission. We want to express the love of God not just to the hearts or souls of people, but to the whole person, to people's stomachs or their need for housing or their whole story, which carries uh, stories sometimes of injustice. And stretching our hearts in that way to express the love of God in places of profound need can be very, very difficult. We need more tools. We need more help if we are to sustain a life of reflecting the love of God in the world. And I'm confident that Oshita has a lot of good tools, talents, and passions that can help us along the way in that journey. So would you welcome with me Oshita Moore. Thank you so much for coming all the way out here, for making your way. Um, I want to say a prayer for Oshita, so if you feel comfortable, extend uh, a hand as a sign of participating and blessing, and we pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, come upon this place, how we thirst for living water. Pour out your presence upon our sister today and grant to her authority and power to speak your word, uh, that it might be sharp to our hearts, that we might find new life. So we welcome you in this place. Give us hearing hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Applause for Shunem. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Yes, I came from the land of lakes to be here with the River Church, and I am so excited to be with you. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm, I, I kind of am the kind of personality sometimes when I come into a new space or just in general, I kind of want to know where, where I'm going, like where I'm going to take you. So I'm just going to let you in a little bit of what we're going to do today. So we're going to begin in the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at a gospel reading. And then I'm going to do a little bit of teaching on that. And throughout our time together, I'm going to teach a little bit. And then because I'm a trained spiritual director, I'm going to give us a chance to practice a spiritual, uh, spiritual practice that kind of goes along with my teaching a little bit, just for a couple of minutes to settle in and allow ourselves to experience um, God's love for us. Um, and then at the end of our time, I love this uh, rhythm that you have here at the River Church where you get a chance to dialogue with one another. At Roots Moravian, 
where my husband and I pastor together, we actually meet around tables and we dialogue as well. So it feels really at home. And so I'm just going to go ahead and prep you now that during your discussion time, I'm going to invite you to share with each other which of those practices resonated with you. How did you experience that? And which of those practices you want to practice a little bit more throughout the week? Um, and so just be mindful of that as we spend our time together. Sound good? Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, or you just want to read behind the screen with me, we are going to be in Luke chapter 8. And we are going to be in um, the verses 43 through 48, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. So let us ground ourselves in this scripture this morning. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I just got back um, just a few days ago. So I had a cat home, had a couple days at home, and then came back here, came here to be with you all. Um, and I got back from leading a group of reconciling leaders on a racial justice immersion trip. Um, you will see a few of them, see the whole group behind me. This group I had been walking with for the past six months as a facilitator of what's called a journey of hope. So me and another, uh, another facilitator named Jer, we walked with these leaders who were committed to the work of reconciliation. And basically that means that in their spaces, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a, non, as a perfect person who works in a nonprofit, they are committed to mending divides. They are deeply attuned to the ways that we separate from each other, from the lies that we tell about each other, and they want to be a part of, of healing those divides. They want to be reconcilers. And so this particular group, um, because they are rooted here in North America, um, are, we're deeply aware of the conversations that we have been having around race and what is going on with the racial divisions that we are experiencing and how those divisions are showing up in so many arenas of our lives. And so they joined the cohort to learn about how to be reconcilers when it comes to conversations around race and justice from a peacemaking perspective. Now, one of the things that I knew about these particular leaders as we were doing the interviews is that they were done with tips and tricks and the next big thing to do to fix whatever problem is going on in their context. They wanted to, they wanted something a little bit deeper. They wanted something richer. They wanted community. They wanted transformation. They wanted to be at peace within themselves so they could be peace peacemakers in the world. And I love that because my role as a co-facilitator was to show up as a spiritual director. 
was to help them do the work of being reconciled to themselves. In fact, we took them through four different modules, um, reconciled to self, reconciled to each other, reconciled to the earth, and reconciled to, reconciled to earth, and reconciled to community. Um, and one of the things that I, I was deeply aware of is when we began the reconciled to ourselves portion, which is the very beginning of our module, I noticed that some of those reconciling leaders could not turn off that hustle instinct tricks or tri tips or tricks kind of desire. Like, oh, I can take this thing that I learned and go uh, teach it at my church. Or, hey, do you think you can come and lead a workshop on this thing? And, and so my co-facilitator and I kind of had a deci decided between us that we were going to extend the time that we were going to spend with them um, unreconciled to ourselves than we had originally planned. Because we so deeply wanted them to be grounded and settled before we go into all of these different important conversations on how they show up in the world as peacemakers. We wanted them to experience what it meant to be a peacemaker. We wanted them to be um, at peace within themselves, how they're wired, do they have some form of neurodivergence or not, what's their cultural background and how does that influence the way they show up in the world, what's their social location, what are the traumas that they have experienced that, that have formed some of the narratives that they say, say about themselves and that they believe about other people. We really wanted them to do that work. So we extended our time with them. And one of the things that we did was we had another spiritual director come and talk about being versus doing, but then I came and taught them about the concept of belovedness. For those of you who may not know what belovedness is or that's an unfamiliar word to you, it is, it's been made known and popular by a priest and theologian and a writer and professor, Henry Nowen. His most famous book is called Life of the Beloved. And in that book, he says this about belovedness. This is a, a good definition for belovedness. It is a constant claiming of our true identity. Our true identity is that we are God's children, the beloved sons and daughters of our heavenly father. So at the end of that module, I noticed that their question shifted from, well, what more can I do? And what's the next thing I could read? And how can I implement this idea of belovedness for others to this important question that we're going to think about together today? How do I own my belovedness? What does that look like for me in my actual real life? And I loved that question because I knew that that was something that I could work with that I could sit with them and help them distinctly learn what belovedness feels like in their, in their core and how they can run to their core identity as beloved when they are struggling, when they feel the furthest from peace. Because this is what I knew. I knew that we would get to the other modules where we would talk about reconciled to earth and how we take care of the earth. And we would talk about reconciled to each other and we would learn conflict resolution skills. And I knew that when we would take them and talk about reconciled to community and we would talk about the specific issues that come up when we have conversations around race. And then I knew I would take them here. I knew that we would be walking in Montgomery, Alabama, and we would be outdoors staring at these statues. 
So by the time you, when you go to Brian Stevenson's Legacy Museum, which is where these statues are, you would have already gone into a building that was once a holding place for enslaved Africans, a place where they were traded. And you had have wa would have walked through that, and it, it's been turned into a museum, and you would have seen, and from so many different places and in so many different ways, you would have seen images, you would have read stories about the transatlantic slave, um, the, the transatlantic slave process. You would have seen the things that were, that were done to enslaved Africans, things that were done to enslaved African children. You would have seen so much brutality. You would have seen statues similar to this inside a building. And then you would have seen statues that look like this. You would see the, the deep anguish on the faces of statues that represent enslaved Africans. And I knew for this particular group of, of white peacemakers for whom they wanted to be a part of fixing the problem, that if they were not grounded and centered in their belovedness when they saw this, that shame was not too far from them. See, I also knew that they would be standing under this. Every single one of these pillars has names of black Americans who were brutalized, terrorized, and lynched in the Deep South during the Jim Crow era. In fact, one of the practices that we had in being mindful as we moved through the space, this sacred space, was I asked them to go and find a county that is close to their county or their very own and just read the names on those plaques. And I knew that if I asked them to do that, that that sense of overwhelm, that sense of I don't fit into this because I'm not a person of color, I knew that they would feel just a deep, deep sense of, of unloved, like they're not loved, that there's something intrinsically wrong with them for being white peacemakers in this journey reading these names. I knew it was important for them to own their belovedness, so I loved the question, what does it look like for me to be, become beloved? See, I knew if they did not have a solid path to becoming beloved, they would be so overwhelmed, so heartbroken, and just so stunned by the brutality that they learned on the trip, it would send them spiraling. The group that I took last week was my fourth group to take them through something like this. And the very first time I did it, I was a very green anti-racism peacemaker trainer. And I just like let them go through it and the spiraling spiraled. There was so much heartbreak. There was so much defensiveness. There was so much fear. And it just broke my heart because there was a possibility that the spirit could inspire them on how to show up, but they were still, they didn't feel like their own belovedness, their own sense of worth and identity was tended to. And so I fixed that really quickly by grounding this work in time in belovedness. So I really wanted to answer their question, this group who were like, just tell me the next thing to do. And we're now like asking, well, wh what does that look like? I knew I wanted to give them something that was meaningful and credible. And so I went back to Noun's work in Life of the Beloved and I offered this quote, that owning your belovedness, knowing your belovedness is this process. First of all, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. You gotta be aware of what the world is and how it functions, that it's manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and that in the long run, 
dis destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's sight, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting blaze. See, what I, what I told them was that you're not going to have like a go-to tip or trick that just automatically like set the stamps you beloved. There isn't something that I can do where, you know, you go away in a little hidey hole, you pray, and then you come out, oh, you're beloved, glistening and shiny with a halo about you, smelling of lavender and yang yang. There's nothing that you, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do. Like that's not how belovedness works. Belovedness is this deep, deep confidence and groundedness. It is a way of moving through the world that is non-anxious, that is unbothered, that is wise about the harm that the lies of the world does to our core identity. And that is something that you have to do step by step. It's a process. In fact, it is a process of healing. And that is where our sister from Luke comes in today to teach us about how to enter into a healing process that ends with belovedness. See, when my cohort members asked me, what does it mean for me to own my belovedness? I would, in true spiritual director fashion, then ask them, well, what does it look like for you to be healed of the lies you believed about yourself and God for so long? Because owning our belovedness is a healing process. In today's text, we encounter a woman who was an outcast to all, but beloved to one, Jesus. And in his care, she was made well. Of the healing stories in Jesus' ministry, this one is my favorite. Because it offers an encouragement for those of us for, who, who are deeply aware of the kind of the internal battles we go through that prevent us from feeling beloved. We are aware of the lies we believe. We are aware of the inadequacies that we have. We are aware of the imposter syndrome that we function with. Just like our sister was aware of what was internally going on in her body. She was deeply vulnerable in a way that, she, that allowed her to access healing because her woundedness, her, her illness was a deeply vulnerable one tied to her identity as a woman in a culture that did not treat women with a lot of respect, that didn't have um, ways of, of embracing women and caring for women, even in their illnesses um, that was dignifying. So see her condition, her particular condition, a bleeding condition, th there were laws around it that would, that would ca cast her as an outcast, that would say that she was unclean, that she was unfit for worship and community. Our sister knows what it's like to experience deep suffering and have to hide it. The bleeding woman's condition was tiresome and embarrassing. And it was a condition that made her feel a lot of shame and self-hatred and even dismissal. 
And when I think of our need to be made well through owning our belovedness, I see our sister's condition running parallel. The ways we've tried to survive in a critical and callous world often feels like we're hemorrhaging, doesn't it? I can tell you that for me, I struggled with so much perfectionism because I believed unless I was perfect, I would not and could not be loved. I worked myself to burnout and near breakdown simply to please others so that I would have a fleeting sense of acceptance. The process of healing for me through owning my belovedness has been to remind myself that Jesus' love cannot be earned. It was and is a gift. It was and is a gift for me, and it was and is a gift for you. It's a grace that he offers us because of who he is and not because of what we've done. And as I have owned that, that truth, and as th that has allowed me to accept that I am deeply loved by God, amazing things have happened in my own growth and formation. Like, I look at my limitations as opportunities for humility and prayer. When I feel like I'm not enough, I take it to God, and I find, like Apostle Paul did, that his grace is sufficient. When we allow ourselves to be healed of those interior lies that we believe, we can experience healing, and we can know that we are beloved. Okay, but then what does that look like? How do we position ourselves to enter into this process of, of healing like the, the bleeding woman? So as I look at her interaction in Luke, I see three invitations for us for owning our belovedness and entering into this process of healing. So the first thing that I look at when I see our sister, our bleeding sister, is that she began with Jesus. In another translation, she says uh, she, she's intent on meeting Jesus. She starts with Jesus in her mind. She has heard of this man who has brought healing, and she decided that he was the one she needed because her healing journey was not over. In the 12 years of trying to figure out what was going on in her body, she had begun again and again and again and again. But this time, she wanted to meet her teacher. She wanted to meet Jesus. She wanted to reach out and touch him. See, she heard about this person, this person who touched lepers and talked to women and didn't care one bit about others' opinions. You know, she heard about how he was going to love the unloved with his very hands. And think about this. For 12 years, this woman had a chronic illness. And maybe for the first couple of years with this chronic illness, her community rallied around her. They were curious. They wanted to know. They wanted to, to try to help her. They wanted to say, you still belong to us. But the more she suffered and the longer she went, she was pushed further and further from her community. I can't imagine the number of years she went without being touched. But this woman had the bravery to say, I have not been touched, but I'm going to go find the one who has touched people like me. I'm going to reach out for him because maybe he will reach back out to me. See, Jesus had a body. And he put that body in places and spaces to love people. And I think she knew that if she chose to meet Jesus, that Jesus would choose her. 
I think she heard enough of the way Jesus showed up for other people who were suffering that he might be the one who would hold her suffering with compassion. That she would not be in this chronic illness alone for long. So she reached out for Jesus. So the first invitation that I can think of that she offers us is to reach out to Jesus, to begin with Jesus, because here is the thing, Jesus will always choose us. Jesus will always reach out to us. When everyone else called her unclean, Jesus called her daughter, a term of endearment and an invitation for her to own her belovedness. And as I think about this interaction between Jesus and the woman, I see a through line of Jesus' ministry that calls us out of the ways we try to earn God's love into resting into our belovedness. So, for instance, we see that when the disciples came to Jesus in Mark 16, and they were so excited about the ways that they were showing up, Jesus, here are the tips and tricks we did that you told us to do, and then look at all of the results. People are coming to you. People are being healed. Look at the ways that we have proven that we are worthy to you. Jesus said, come away with me to a quiet place and rest a while. I imagine that this quiet place was what our sister experienced when she experienced her healing. The, as the disciples said, the noise and the crush was around her, and yet she experienced healing. Jesus invited his disciples similarly to, to experience healing, to come away to a quiet place, and that is our invitation in this moment. It comes through this ancient practice called centering prayer. And in my practice as a spiritual director, I have found centering prayer is a way that's less focused on what we say in prayer, but creating space to listen, creating space for silence. Because the spirit is always speaking to us. And sometimes we just have to set an intention to be attentive. Much like the bleeding woman's quest for Jesus was about intention and not attention. I mean, she didn't even want to be noticed. Like, she kept quiet until Jesus was like, listen, somebody touch me, and somebody needs to say something about it. So I'm going to invite us to just take a moment to practice centering prayer. And a very quick way of describing centering prayer is we choose a word that is an intentional word that speaks to our belovedness, and we mull it over. Now, traditionally, we practice centering prayer two times a day for 20 minutes, but we're not going to do that because I can't even do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to just practice it for 30 seconds. I'm going to allow you to be quiet for a moment and choose a word. Daughter, beloved, accepted, enough. Sometimes I use my own name, Oshida, because so many people say it. They missay it. And sometimes I feel some shame around my name. So sometimes I just imagine my name. And I imagine that that word is infused with the love of God, the tenderness of the voice of Jesus that said, that said daughter, your faith has made you well. So let's take a moment and allow those words to wash over us. And the next invitation is very, very easy, but very difficult. And it's pay attention to the small. 
So as we look at our sister, the bleeding woman, she did not like show up and say, hi, Jesus, I've been bleeding, fix me. She didn't, you, she didn't join her voice in the loudness of the crowd. She came in quietly and small. And in one translation, she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. See, she was looking for what was most accessible for her and what made the most sense for her, and it was the smallest thing she could do. If, she, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I'm from a Pentecostal background, the Assembly of God. And in my background, we love the big splashy moments where God shows up. We march around the room. We drench everything with oil. We speak in tongues. And I remember once as a teenager in youth group, we were gathered in a circle and we were praying for someone or something. I can't remember. But one of us said, God, we just, and our youth pastor stopped and said, we don't just ask God for anything. We tell God who God is, and we expect God to show up. Don't ever use just in your prayer life. And as I have matured in my faith, I want to reclaim the power of just. Because just is what most of us can do. Just is, is, is the small amount of faith that we bring just gets overlooked way too often, but just is where Jesus showed up for our bleeding sister. So how can you just be aware of God's presence? What do you have that's accessible and natural to you? See, for her, because she was trying to keep a low profile, she was low on the ground, and she was like, if I could just get to his him, there is healing there. What do we all have? that is just and powerful. Our breath, every single one of us in this room has been breathing. Hopefully nobody's passed out. I think we're good. And so during the pandemic, I started leading people online in this practice of breath prayer. And what I would do is I would come in and I would offer a, a reading, a sacred reading that's been meaningful for me. And then we would craft a prayer using our breath. And the way I would teach it is we teach, we think of a name for God that's meaningful for us for the moment, and then a request to God for the moment. And we would do a prayer on the rhythm of our breath. So I'm going to invite you to do a breath prayer with me. We're going to say, Jesus, I am beloved. So if you breathe in with me, breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in again. And breathe out. And now join me. Jesus, breathe in. And on the exhale, I am beloved. Let's do that two times together. Jesus, I am beloved. And last time, Jesus, I am beloved. Amen. The last invitation that we received from our sister is one that we cannot do alone. Because what she did after she, after she showed up for Jesus, made Jesus the center of her healing, and after she brought what little she could, just touched the hem of his garment, used what was accessible to her to connect with the heart of God, she didn't just stop there. She told Jesus her story. 
See, one of the things that we overlook often in our journey of belovedness is we have this Pollyanna optimism that says we can't look at the trauma and the tragedy that we've experienced it because if we do that, we're going to go down into a spiral. But see, here's the thing. She couldn't heal herself. She needed Jesus. She needed relationship for healing. So she told her story to Jesus of all that she had been through all of those 12 years. And I cannot even imagine some of the things that she said in that community in front of all those people, the vulnerability that she had. But that vulnerability was tied up in her healing. So part of our owning of our belovedness, healing of the lies that we have believed in the world is to sit with someone who we trust, who will say to us, you are beloved. That was hard. That was bad. You should not have gone through that. And you are still beloved. So maybe a pastor or a trusted friend or a spiritual director, someone who can hold your story. And I'll close with this. Becoming beloved is a healing process. It's not just for ourselves. It's not just for each other, but it's for the community. When... um. Whenever I would teach this cohort, in any space, honestly, about anti-racism, peacemaking, I would begin with belovedness, and I would teach them this practice where I would say, we are becoming an expression of the beloved community. And the beloved community was uh, Dr. King's, made pop popular by Dr. King. It was his vision of a peaceable community who expose injustice and fight for civil rights. This concept was very near and dear to his heart because it was rooted in agape love. And he wanted the love of God to protect and create community. I like to explain it like this. Beloved community is a community of people who want to see the love of God transform broken hearts and brokenness. So first, we should own our belovedness, proclaim the belovedness of each other, and then protect our collective belovedness. River Church, you have an opportunity to become an expression of the beloved community. So in closing, I'd like to invite you to do the practice that I always would start my anti-racism classes with, and it is this practice of community belovedness. So I want you to take a moment and close your eyes and place your hand over your heart space. And say with me, I am beloved. Now I want you to take your hands and extend them to each other in different directions and look around. Make eye contact with someone. I know it's weird, but it's okay. And I want you to say to them, you are beloved. And now I want you to look around. Look around at this whole room, at every single image bearer in every single seat. And I want you to say, we are beloved. So in your dialogue time, I wanna encourage you, beloved community, to share with each other which one of those practices resonated with you. Which one are you more curious about? Do you want to explore centering prayer a little bit more because the 30 seconds was not enough? Do you wanna create a breath prayer using what you have to touch Jesus? Do you want to explore a conversation with someone who will proclaim belovedness over you? But before you do that, will you let me just offer you a blessing?
inspired by one of my favorite mystics, Julian of Norwich, who in her own moment of deep illness, asked God to show her the depth of God's love for her. And in the room she was in, she, no she looked over and she noticed a little hazelnut. And she picked it up, um, inspired by the spirit, to pick it up and to hold it and consider it. And she turned it over and over in her hands. And she noticed its complexity and its beauty. She thought of its story, of how it was a little seed, and, and then it got bigger. And, and then she, she was curious about what does it look like when it, when it grows. And she just, just held that hazelnut, and, and, and like I said, all of its complexity. And the Spirit of the Lord said to her, in the same way that I tend and care for this hazelnut, I tend and care for you. And these three words, these three phrases came to her mind. And these are three words that help me own my belovedness regularly. These three phrases about the hazelnut were, God made it, God loves it, and God keeps it. So would you allow me to offer you this blessing before you turn to each other? And if you feel comfortable, place your hand over your heart space or extend your hands as if you're receiving a gift. Take a posture that allows you to be grounded and centered in your body. May you, beloveds, know that in all of your beauty and complexity that God made you and God loves you and that God keeps you. Amen.